0: Welcome to Solutions from the Yard, a candid discussion about life behind bars and its effect on society. We'll discuss reintegration or re-entry back into the community post-incarceration. Your host for this episode is Dietrich Trent.
1: Welcome to Solutions from the Yard. Today, I'm today's host, Dietrich Trent. I have a few things I want to talk about, and one mainly is the 13th Amendment, this past midterm election, this was on the ballot on a lot of states. I don't know if the audience noted that we're talking about slavery people. And slavery may sound like an issue of the past, but it was a topic on the ballot in five different states, right? And from Alabama, Tennessee, Vermont, Oregon, and Louisiana. And the thing about this is a lot of people don't understand that the, the majority of the United States slavery still exists when it comes to the 13th Amendment. Right. And what makes this illegally is because we are not equipped in knowing what exists inside these laws that that in these legislations and some of these bylaws and some of these exceptions that's within these in the constitution that's going to affect not only the, the a criminal but it affects the whole United States of America as the citizens of the United States of America. Because anyone could be placed in handcuffs at any given time. But Lord knows we not just we what we promoting. But you are subject to this. So this is something more of a not a prison issue, it's more of a human rights issue. Because it's 2022 and we are talking about slavery. And today I'm joined by two of my hosts, Michael Dickinson Hill and brother Charles Hopkins. How you doing? I'm doing great, bro. Thanks for having
2: me. I'm doing great too. Thanks for having
1: me. I mean y'all always here with me. I ain't talking about thanks for having me. We always here together. <laughs> But anyway, you know, I know you two brothers did a um, extensive, long extensive time in prison, right? And, and you both know how the, the prison labor go when it comes to working and trying to provide for yourself and just trying to make a dollar to survive. Mm-hmm. And we could talk numbers all day because we know how how much we was getting paid for certain jobs and what was the high job, what was the low job. But all of the, all the time, but this was all in the form of of a conviction that allowed them to still keep slavery going. Now, we know in prison, brothers and sisters go in there, don't have a formal of mean of of family out here, so they are subject to participate into some of these labor jobs that's been offered inside these industrial prisons mm-hmm. systems. So I want to talk to you what was your experience inside a prison uh in the workforce
2: uh brother uh, Dickerson? here. Um well my experience um I always I always tried to maintain a job in prison um not mainly because only to finance, but to keep my, my mind in the state where as though I'm always working and not to get lazy. You know, it's because you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of homies and other people in prison, they sleep all the way to lunchtime. You know, I like to get up and, uh, you know, get my workout on. And, you know, after, the, after I work out, you know, I always had my, I had a job that was scheduled after my workout. So I always uh, try to maintain um, a form of of a job, not like I said, just for the money, but to keep myself disciplined because I know I had a release date, you know, and I knew that I was going to get out, and um, I knew that I was going to, you know, need some form of, of discipline in in that area. Um, when it came to prison pay, now that was a <laughs> a struggle in its own because uh, depends on what type of institution you was in, what type of job you got um you know you can be getting like a minimum wage pay of like around 5 dollars a month but you know you can sometime earn up to at least 80 to 90 dollars a month um you know they had pay grades like they went all the way up to 29 cents an hour um you know and 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 if you was working in like one of the industries in the federal system you know you can make a little more you might be getting like it depends on the industry that you was in You'd be getting uh you know maybe hundred and twenty dollars a month uh up to around three hundred or something in that area uh but that was like if you was privileged and it was a long waiting list to even get those type of jobs because most time those type of jobs was um was mostly given to the guys that had real high uh you know like restitution fees, you know the court fees and stuff like that. So they gave them first dibs the jobs that paid the most because they had the most money to pay back to the government. Mm-hmm. So they made sure that they got, you know, those jobs first, you know. And then if you were just a regular Joe Schmo, you know, you know, you had to, you know, be in the crab in the burrow and get whatever job you, you know, can get to sustain you or serve his purpose.
1: So yes, I'm glad you, you, you spoke on about the restitution and about that because, it's, it was a, a law back in the day. If don't, I'm not. It was a law back in the day. It Was called the restitution program, where they was selling, putting people. They was coming around, like if you owe debt, and put you and have you uh, doing labor for cheap jobs for these prison or uh, um, industries with these these regular citizens mm-hmm. that had debt, and they, they was using them tricking them into doing labor for 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 these corporations mm. I'm gonna get into that but I'm glad speaking snap I'm gonna talk to you uh, brother uh I was talking uh how was your experience dealing with the uh, this the prison labor
0: you know uh this is a good subject matter because I recall like when I first got in industry uh I was a little I was doing a lot of litigating. So I was real litigious, and the institution kind of got attitude with me. So as a form of punishment and tried to control me, they put me in the prison industry, and it used to be called the state use industry. And now it's called the Maryland Correction Enterprise. But the state use industry is an industry that primarily uh, uses prison labor to produce state material, mm-hmm. uh, the deaths that... That they have in the Annapolis, the chairs and the furniture for University of Maryland dormitories, and the beds that was for new prisons. And so I was in. I was in. Uh, they asked me which tribe I wanted to get in, and so being defined, I said I don't care. So they put me in the shop called Metal One, and Metal One was like the first shop that was used to prefab the stuff for the beds that was they was building for a new prison, mm-hmm. and. What they had did, they took the machinery that they had was World War One and World War Two machinery that they had refed. So in, in terms of so it could operate, but you had like little pieces of metal four, four, four inches by four inches and that you, you push through a little thing and you hit a die and they punch a hole in it and that later on where you'd be used to anchor the the bunks. So my experience in, in, in industry this was the one shop I was working. My experience in the industry, it was labor. It The pay was good in response to you working a job that's you're getting more money than everybody else in the institution. You get more money than the people working in the kitchen. You get more money than the people working sanitation. You get more money with the people working in the library. But in terms of the amount of money that you're being just making for the industry, you're only getting pittance. You might be getting, like we might, on the average, we might make uh $0.90 cent a day, and then when they say bonus, the bonus is based on the amount of productivity you put out. So that, that's the incentive to put out a lot of productivity because you might get $0.90 cent a day, but the bonus might be $2 a day. But the productivity you put out, you put out for that month. In order to get $2 a day, you put out enough uh, material to get the corporation maybe $50 million that month. Right. So that was the first job I had second job I had and this was really crazy was I worked in the tag shop and they had prefab the machinery to be able to press tags so my experience always been my experience in in uh in prison has always been when I went was in industries it's always felt, I've always felt like and you know uh being I was being exploited mm-hmm. because of the amount of money we were making for the corporation, mm-hmm. but at the same token, I knew a lot of guys that was in the industry, they had an attitude of indifference because you're making more money than the general population. I'm, and, and
1: I'm glad you said that, but I'm going to get back to what the restitution. It was Mississippi. So Mississippi has a restitution program where it sends its people to work off debts hmm. owed by the state by acting as a temp agency for a number of industries. Mm. So this is something that, this not only, they was doing this to actually walk in citizens and that's not just in prison. So you, so people let, wake up, <laughs> wake up. So I want to speak, and you were speaking on, about the labor. So I want to touch on, so so the audience can know, the different type of labors that's inside the prison when we talk when it comes to, because you were saying about, how your job in the industry was getting paid more than the kitchen and these, such, such and such in these jobs. And I know by being in prison, the working in Unicorn, you had to be, uh, uh, quote, unquote, a good, good, I hate to say this, but a good inmate, hmm. right? Good s, right? So today there are three main kinds of prison labors. In-house work, the production of goods for sale, the work release program. However, similar forms of exploitation can also be found in the rehabilitation programs and the immigration centers as well. Mm. Right? Now, the in-house workers, we know what the in-house workers Mm are. Right? So the in-house workers are ain't nobody, but they're just working around the facilities and the... you doing the food service? You do cleaning, laundry, mm-hmm. ground keeping, maintenance, and custodial work. Them are the in house keep that's keeping the prison up, mm-hmm. keeping the house up. Yeah, <laughs> we come on. We we talk. We keeping the house up, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, but we know. And I ain't. This is not to talk about this against anybody because I, because me, I be the first. I held some of these jobs as well, mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> I ain't talking to down on no one when we're saying this. Because a lot of us, we speaking as experience coming from over, over these mics. But the prison industry for is of goods sales. So this is when people, you got them working real agriculture labor. You got them working in farms and doing mm-hmm. things of people, you know, and they ain't getting nothing for this. That's right. And you were saying that the job that you was doing as well was doing uh, for the beds and tags. Mm-hmm. These jobs, these are well-paid jobs in society. Mm-hmm. But I want to speak on this. Explain to me how is it still allowed for the United States of America on to still allow this to uh, be exploited through the Thirteenth Amendment, uh, Brother uh, Dickinson. They'll talk to me.
2: Uh, well, uh, when you you when you read the Thirteenth Amendment, it says uh, you know involuntary slavery was abolished, except if you are duly convicted of a crime.
1: Come on, teach them.
2: And that's, that's some of the small print a lot of people Don't pay no attention to Because the first thing you hear is Oh involuntary slavery has been abolished But uh, if you do Your history on slavery um, You had what was called Involuntary slavery And you had what was called indigenous servitude
0: mm-hmm.
2: Now involuntary slavery Dealt with us You know, you know the so called black man And black woman Whereas though, you know, you can be a slave and your children were slaves and so on and forth and so forth for generation to generation. Now, what you had involved, when you had indentured servitude, now indentured servitude applied for any citizen. Mm-hmm. Because if you broke any of the laws of, of that town that you was a part of, you know, you could get uh, sentenced to the plantation for a certain amount of time to do uh, indentured servitude. So now when um when the Thirteenth Amendment was ratified and came out in 1865, you know, involuntary slavery was abolished because, you know, we was freed off the plantations, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have to be a slave no more. My children didn't have to be slaves. But when it says except if you were duly convicted of a crime, now that still applies to indentured servitude. That's what that applies to. Now, you know, in the article it says that this applied to all citizens. You see what I'm saying? So therefore, when anybody of any race got uh got uh, duly convicted of a crime,
0: right, you
2: had to be turned back to the plantations because at one point in time they didn't have no prison system. Mm-hmm. They didn't have it. So the way they punished you was was putting you back on the plantation. And, you know, they had created all types of laws during that time when we was first free because a lot of us didn't know how to read. We didn't know the law. So they came up with uh, vagrancy laws, laudering laws. So if you were seen just walking around down, to, I mean, you know, in the town, in the town, in the town and <laughs> you, you, you standing around too long. They say, hey, boy, you know what you doing standing there? Oh, I was trying to find hardware stores, sir. And then the next thing you know, when you were standing too long, you was laudering. And then they'll lock you up, convict you, and you get put back on the plantation for a certain amount of time and then get released. So during this time, you know, we like I say, we didn't know the law. We didn't even know how to read. So we was just falling victim to all these uh, snares and tricks that they was playing. So once they started what was called the U.S. prison system. And see, once a lot of the Europeans started coming to prison in the United States and they was, you know, they was uh, dismantling the 13th Amendment and said, hey, y'all got us in here breaking rocks, making license plates, doing all these different things. And we not getting paid Involuntary voluntary slavery supposed to be abolished. So that's how the pay even got into the prison system. And you can find that on a, a documentary on the History Channel. It's called the u s prison system and you know in the united states and 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 you know they petitioned and got the pays in, you know getting five cents for hour little stuff like that, and they the ones petition, and that's how the pay system even got into the prison system
1: and that was on the federal level and not the state level, mm-hmm. right
2: exactly uh, uh,
1: thank you brother that was well educating our audience on mm-hmm. how they was how. Slavery was still going on but they knew it. Mm-hmm. But it was ways that they put it in writing, mm-hmm. and that's what they do. And I want to speak on, and then I'm gonna let you go, brother Hawkins. But I want to, cause, and I want to speak on this: that cheap prison labor labor is a powerful labor market incentive against criminal justice reform. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say this again because I don't think people understand what we're about to go at with. Right, this. right. Right? Cheap prison labor is a powerful labor market incentive against criminal justice reform. Reason why I'm saying this because we have over 4,100 corporations in the United States mm-hmm. of America mm-hmm. that profit off of mass incarceration in the United States. Mm-hmm. Right? These corporations, including private prisons, right? Which hold viable go- government contracts, yeah. featuring minimum bid guarantees at a fixed per prison price. Mm-hmm. These private and, and the thing that they and then they put they 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 these uh, private prisons, they overstock you in the prisons and then they say you they phone companies mm-hmm. they put they then they overpriced the commissary. This is all Mm -hmm. form of... We ain't just slavering you. We're going to slave your family Mm -hmm. as well. We're going to pull from them too, Mm
0: -hmm. from this
1: form of slavery. We're going to make you give money back to your labor.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? So, Brother Charles, speak on why, once again, why is slavery still existing and after we didn't had uh, so much... I don't so much than transpire in the world, right? But in the Constitution, which is the bylaws of the United States of America, right? Why is it
0: still slavery still exists in the amendments of 13? Because like like uh, I think in Dickinson Hill, he you know he he set the table right, but you really you really qualified it by talking about the profit. Yes, it's profit. So when we was on the plantation. We was picking cotton. Look at all the money they made off the labor, off our labor, and, and we didn't get one red cent. So it's a profit mode. That's why they got in the 13th Amendment, the exception clause, except duly, and Dixon Hill said, like, I'm staying around, rogan vagabond, except duly convicted. I'm going back on plantation. I'm duly convicted. Had black code laws. After slavery, they had Black Cold Law. They was going around, just like you said. They was going around. If you're walking down the road, say, where you going? I'm going home. Where you live at? Down the road. How far? Two miles. Oh, that's too far. You you uh trespassing. Who? Why I trespass? You cross Mr. Johnny's line right here, so therefore I'm going to duly convict you and put you back in prison. It's the profit mode. And, and when you spoke about, when you opened up, you talked about how they put... In order for them, like uh, a lot of states, put this the Thirteenth Amendment in in their const state constitution. But you spoke on Alabama. Alabama is one of the slave states. But then Alabama prisons just went on strike. The whole entire prison industrial complex in Alabama went on strike. And the reason why they went on strike because the inhumane conditions that they was living under and the fact that they was their labor was being exploited. And this is this is the real this is the tragedy in this in this narrative is that. You know, right now you have uh, over 1.8 million people that's incarcerated in the in the prison system. Okay, don't none of us have no right to self determination. Don't none of us have no right to like we being we we don't have the right to like have a social security, like get paid equal wage. Then you can take you tax us, you take a quarter, we can put that towards our quarter. So when we come out of prison. I'm not already worked. I've been in prison like 25 years. I got 25 years worth of where I didn't work. That means when I get out, I do not have to worry about getting a job. I got I can get my Social Security because I, I'm I, I can retire. But you can't retire right like today. I can't get my, when I get my quarter from Social Security. I'll be 90 years old because I ain't never had no job. So to answer your question, it's profit.
1: I'm glad you said that. And one of the things I wanted to let the audience know. And we know during lockdown at prison, what was the first place they open up and tell them to go to work? Unicool. What was the first place? Unicool. The, the industries. The industries. Where everybody else be in their cell. They gonna make sure you go make daddy his money. <laughs> and I'm saying this because i been they let me out my cell I ain't saying this is another, man, but it's yeah. this is true, Bill. They them industries, the prison could be dead locked. The industry is gonna be open to be working because they got contracts that need mm-hmm. to be done and need to be pushed out. I, I'm saying this because I heard, and then some of the names. Do y'all remember some of the names? The foreman. And <laughs> you remember some of the names that uh, yeah, of the people yeah. that was the CEOs that was mm-hmm. working there? Yeah. yeah. So, but I want to know I want to ask you this, uh, Mike. Did you know there was, and I want you to explain to them when I and, and get into depth about this when I ask you about the eight states and I want you to tell them the eight states that ban all forms of uh slavery but and tell them the good thing about the eight states but and, and, and educate the audience about their states that that still have the form of slavery that didn't ban it, that it still goes on if they don't live in these states.
2: Yeah. You see where it's, where it says Alabama, Teens, Tennessee, Oregon, Vermont and Louisiana?
1: Yes, sir. And also, Rhode Island, and Rhode Island was the first state to ban, abolish all forms of slavery. So that's the eighth state. And Brother Dixon Neal just told y'all about the seven states, and he wanted to explain to you what's going on If to the people, why it's so important for us to go out and know the law and for us to vote and understand what is being put up in front of us to telling us to vote against and what is not because this is not once again I say this this is not no prisons rights and Mm -hmm. we this is not just a prison right this is a human issues rights Mm -hmm. because we are all humans and all of us could be subject to this law and to to this constitution brother can you speak on it please
2: well I I, you know these things um well you know it's it's kept a secret for a reason Mm -hmm. you know um like 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 uh Charles Brother Charles was saying about you know, um, the ignorance of the law, things of that nature. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a form of U.S. economy, mm-hmm. so therefore, this thing has become a part of U.S. economy. Like Chuck said, is what is 1.8 million people mm-hmm. incarcerated? We have the most people incarcerated of any country in the world. That's At right. one time, it was Russia, right. now we've been Russia,
0: that's
2: right. So, therefore. You know, if this your your, uh, cash cow, you know, why would you inform people? (laughs) You know, that's why they have things in small print, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what's going to get voted on, what can you, you know, vote against and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. Um, They're not going to explain that because of the fact, like Charles was saying, it's too much money being involved. You have too many people. You got athletes, you got movie stars, you got a whole bunch of people that's investing their money into private industry Mm. prisons. You so so this thing this field is open to be a slaveholder. You got a lot of people, the slaveholders, that got the same complexion mm. that we have. So therefore, you know, once they didn't open up the doorways, though, you can actually invest into prisons. That's right. You know, it's it's that's like you know what I'm saying that's just like Wall Street saying, hey, we are gonna shut down. You know, it's, 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 it won't be done uh, until you know everybody really understand that this is not just for us. Because like the article said, this applies to all citizens. Mm-hmm. So therefore, whether you, you know, whatever complexion you are, whatever nationality you are, it applies to you. And then once that's be that once that be explained that it applies to you, then that's when everybody can come together and say, look, yeah, this is something that we need to abolish. Because it's a difference between the Thirteenth Amendment and crime and punishment. Mm-hmm. And that's what should be separated. That's right.
1: Thank you, brother. And in closing, I just want to talk to the people out there. In the United States, there's a form of slavery most Americans are familiar with. It's called Chateau slavery, which allows people who are considered legal property to be bought, sold, and owned. Chateau slavery was abolished in 1865 when the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution was ratified but the text of the 13th amendment contains exceptional clause that reads neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except a prisoner excuse me except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted mm-hmm. shall exist within the united states or any place subject to their jurisdiction the 13th Amendment is the amendment that is celebrated for having abolished slavery. However, what most people don't know is that within the 13th Amendment, there's a short exception clause that says accept as criminal punishment. This exception means if a person has been convicted of a crime in the United States, they can still legally be enslaved when incarcerated. We here on solutions from the yard. We speak about serious issues that's not only affected us, but but we know that still affect many of our brothers and sisters that's still living inside these walls and those that becoming that's coming home from these walls and that's experienced this form of slavery. This is something that needs to be spoken up and yelled across because. Once again, like Brother Dixon, Dixon and Hill said, it's only eight states that abolish all forms of slavery, people. So do the math. There's 50 states. We out.
0: You've been listening to Solutions from the Yard. This podcast is presented by Voices for a Second Chance, a comprehensive reentry program that provides culturally appropriate, trauma-informed, gender-specific, and peer-based services. For more information, go to info at vscdc.org or visit our website at www.vscdc.org.